may be seated. Take your Bibles and go with me to 1 John chapter 3. My comments today will be extremely brief, and uh, so I'll encourage you to listen swiftly and deeply, because I'm going to throw a few things out that will be good for reflection later. I'm intrigued with the way many churches operate, and especially those unwritten rules of the culture of churches. And specifically, I'm intrigued by why for many churches, character assassination by the tongue is acceptable behavior. I was part of a church as a youth minister that uh, was going through some serious turmoil. Our pastor had resigned and moved away and left behind a, a church that had a number of different issues that were deep and abiding Uh, most of them on the character assassination by the tongue front and power struggles within the church, etc. And uh, so it was into the uh, mix of that situation that I was uh, privy to a, a conversation that pointed to a particular individual in the church who was saying some things about one of the other staff members. And uh, here's the deal. No no reflection at all on Aaron because he's much more progressed than I ever was as a youth minister. But um, as a youth minister, I always uh, found that I was a low man on the totem pole in most things around the church staff and the office, uh, which was okay. There's a certain amount of comfort in that and uh, protection in that. But in this particular case, our, pa- our senior pastor had re- resigned and moved away and the uh, church had asked another staff member to step into the position of... Uh, I guess the, the go-to guy there. And so the other two staff members, myself and one other one, um, were going along for the ride. And so when I w- was told about this particular situation, about this one lady who was, um, what's the nice way to say it? There, There's just no nice way to say this about this lady. She was verbally assassinating this other staff member with people. And so I went into the staff guy in charge. He was our assistant pastor. And so I went into him as the ignorant uh, youth minister. And I said, hey, uh, this is going on. And I just want you to know that I'm on my way over to that house to confront her with those words. And (laughs) this guy in charge, bless his heart, um, he was a very non-confrontational guy. That's code speak for wimp. And he said, you can't do that. And I said, not only can I do that, I'm going to do that. And here's my biblical basis for doing that because you should be the one doing that. Um, so he decided he would go with me, but he would let me do the talking. <laughs> and so we sat down and the conversation was uh, charged to be sure. But I came away from that incident, and and it was the first time that I'd ever been in a position as a minister that I realized that many church people specialize in character assassination by the tongue. 
And that is intriguing to me because we live in a society that looks at murderers uh, with great contempt, with even anger, as we should. And yet we turn to let those kind of things be commonplace in, of all places, the church. Now I know, and I said this last week, so I'll say it again this week, I know that it's easy to hear this series that we're in and start going, wow, Brother Mark's really mad at the church. That's really not true. I'm taking passages that, that John has put out, one of Jesus' closest disciples, and he lays this teaching into the life of a first century church that is deeply disturbed and deeply divided, so much so that he says on the front end of this statement of purpose in chapter 1, I write these things out of my own personal experience with Jesus, and now I quote, so that we may have fellowship. Better said, he says, so that you may have fellowship with us. It's a church that's divided. It's a church where there is this faction that is going after those in charge and making accusations. So if it was true then, and we look through church history and we find this consistent problem all the way through church history, one of the things we at Crestwood must be really good at is how we deal with each other. And so we come to this passage one more time, and when we come back to this in a few weeks, uh, we'll be on to another, um, well, here's the next purpose statement that John gives us in chapter one that we're going to look at. He says, I write these things so that you may not sin. That ought to be interesting to see how we get to that point. But in this case, I want you to look at something very quickly today. My time's already halfway gone, so listen carefully. Chapter 3, verse 11, John says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. There's the principle we looked at it last week. We looked at it several weeks before that. We, we understand that this is the great commandment embodied in the church, love one another. There's the principle. And John turns immediately because this is one of those recurring themes throughout his little book here. And so he wants to make sure that we all, his readers then and his readers today, wants to make sure that we get what this means and what it doesn't mean. So he gives us a negative example first, beginning in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother Abel. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Let me just stop there and make this comment. You can go back and read the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. What we find there is this playing out, even before the law was given, before Christ quoted this as the great commandment, before any of that, on the front end of civilization, the two sons of Adam and Eve prove out this truth for us. When we are at odds with God on our vertical relationship, we're bound to be at odds with our brothers on the horizontal relationship. Why did Cain murder his brother? You go back and read that and you will find that part of the reason there is that Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable to God and why would that cause problems with him and his brother? The broken relationship or the damaged relationship between you and God is certain to damage your relationships with other people. So when you find churches or Christians who are traditionally 
man-eating people, you can be sure that there's a spiritual disconnect in their lives. That's not just true on the internal part. He goes on in the next verse to let us know. And by the way, this is a good time for me to just say, Christians, we ought to stop whining about not getting good treatment by the world. We do a lot of whining. Oh, if they would, we're just trying to do good. Oh. We don't get to do the things we used to be able to do. Hello, read the New Testament. And especially here where John adds to the deal about Cain and Abel as a negative example. He says, verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You know why? Because their relationship with God is not there. And what is certain, if your vertical relationship, that your relationship with God is out of whack, you can be sure that all horizontal relationships will suffer too. So then he turns... Well, there's a little tricky theology in verses 14 and 15. I'm going to read them for you. And fortunately, I'm just doing a devotional this morning, so I don't have time to explain it. But you could dig on it yourself. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life. That's not tricky theology. That's part of his purpose. That's the first point of purpose we looked at when we came to this little book of 1 John. He writes in chapter 5, I write so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now he's saying, here's one of the ways you know. It's your love for other people. Here's the tricky theology part of it, though. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So we're going to let our new staff member explain that one for you next Sunday. No, maybe not. Here's the positive example. Okay, he's given Cain and Abel as a negative. Love one another. He didn't do it. It broke down. Now, here's the positive example. By this we know love that he, that is Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Did you catch that? So here's the reason I put the title the way I did out there on the the bullboard, if you happen to see it. Die or be dead. Really, the choice is ours as we relate to people. We can say to them, You be dead. I don't love you. I'm not going to help you. I don't care about you. Be dead. Or we can take the position that we find John pushing us towards, that we find in Christ, and that is that we die to self so that we might minister to others. That's the picture of these verses. And let me just take it a step further. Where did I stop reading? Verse 16. In case you just leave that on the martyrdom kind of a level, here he spells it out a little more. But if any has the world's goods, stop, pause. All of us have the world's goods. In America, we are more um, possessioned than nearly any other country in the world. We have stuff. So here's what he says. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? John says it just doesn't compute. Let us, children, little children, he says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. We're going to get off of this point of purpose 
But I don't want us to get off of it before we really get the message. We have a responsibility under God to invest our lives in each other. The church that excels in that is the church that is magnetic in the community. Hear me say this very well, especially as a fully staffed church looking to do buildings and all of that kind of stuff. We can have the best staff that any church could ever have. We could have the best facilities that any church could ever have, and we could have the best programming that any church ever had and still be dead. We must excel at love. We must. And John speaks to that church and every church between them and us through history. And he says, you know what it says. Love one another. I don't know why the culture allows for character assassination by the tongue. But under God, let's hold each other to a standard here that it would never happen here. Here's the way you get to that, and I close with this. It all comes back down to how you see people. Because if you see people correctly, then you'll treat people correctly. We used to have a song that we sang in church many, many years ago. I think it was sung by Steve Green. The words were something like this. Every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. People need the Lord. That's internally, too. I I personally hold to the belief that our churches are full of people who are desperate for love. These are the words from some not-too-distant past theologians of the time. It's the band Sticks. Listen to the words of the writer of this song and envision him as he goes from city to city playing packed-out arenas. And he said, another year has passed me by. Still I look at myself cry. What kind of man have I become? All of the years I've spent in search of myself and I'm still in the dark because I can't seem to find the light alone. Sometimes I feel like a man in the wilderness. I'm a lonely soldier off to war. Sent away to die, never quite knowing why. Sometimes it makes no sense at all. That's the cry of our age. And as God's people, love them and start in here. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask you to take these deep, pregnant words of Scripture and breathe life into them for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Invitation time. Maybe you're one of those lonely people. Maybe you're one who needs to reconnect.